The old pilot's plane tales. The 500th. In Britain, as in many countries, the Coast Guard is a civilian organisation, primarily responsible for search and rescue. In other countries, it's more of a police force, but in the United States, the Coast Guard is a fully paid-up branch of the military. Its men and women have served with valour in many conflicts, and I'm going to tell you about one such event, the rescue of Misty Eleven. Being a Misty pilot was a dangerous job, and the Misty FAC, a forward air controller program, would only take volunteers. Between the summers of 1967 and 1970, 155 pilots would be accepted, and of them, 34 would be shot down. They had to fly in a very dense threat environment, whilst operating for long periods at low altitudes searching for targets. They were men of quality, as one would receive the Medal of Honor, one would be the first to fly non-stop, unrefueled around the world, two would become the United States Air Force's Chief of Staff, and two would become astronauts. Two of them were also going to be on the receiving end of a momentous rescue during the Vietnam War by the United States Air Force Aerospace Rescue and Recovery Service, and by crews, some of whom weren't even members of the Air Force. They were U.S. Coast Guards. Misty 11 was an F-100 Super Sabre and a fast fac, designating targets in the early morning sun along the Ho Chi Minh Trail for ground attack aircraft to destroy. The Misty call sign came from a Johnny Mathis song of that name with the line, Don't you notice how hopelessly I'm lost? That's why I'm following you. On this morning, October the 24th, 1969, the two-seat Sabre that was the Fast Facts aircraft of choice was crewed by Captain Jack Clapper in the front and First Lieutenant Don Muller behind him. They were scooting along in the target area doing their usual misty weave, a 4-6G to 6G slalom run at over 450 knots, designed to make them a hard target, when somebody below got lucky. Ground fire took out their Pratt & Whitney J57 engine. The F-100 was no glider, and they soon found themselves dropping below a thousand feet, so having put out a mayday call, they ejected, parachuting down into the dense jungle-covered mountainous Laotian terrain. They landed about half a mile around a kilometre apart in a small valley which ran north-south. They both did their best to hide their positions and then made contact using their survival radios, talking to another FAC pilot in an OV-10 Bronco nearby. Clapper was fine, but Muller had a badly broken leg, and what's more, he could hear people moving around him. The Bronco pilot told them to hang on, and that he would be contacting search and rescue. During the Vietnam conflict, the goal of the Combat Rescue and Recovery Units was to get to those in peril before the enemy did. Whether the mission was an extraction or the pickup of a downed airman, each time they were successful it was a win, a save. But a save was much more than a statistic to these men. 
A save was a person, and they took it personally. There were eleven Coast Guard aviators that flew with these rescue forces in Vietnam between 1968 and 1972. They were all volunteers. They were all highly praised, and what's more, the 37th Aerospace Rescue and Recovery Squadron was coming up to their 500th save. It only took a couple of hours before a rescue team of two HH-3E Jolly Green Giants, escorted by a couple of A-1 Sky Raiders, arrived over the crash area and took up an orbit out of harm's way. One would remain as a backup high bird orbiting overhead, whilst the other low bird would go in and make the rescue. The spads repeatedly ran up and down the area, looking for a response from the enemy, but all seemed quiet. So Captain Charles Langham, the United States Air Force, descended his helicopter in for the recovery. Above them all was a Hercules C-130 coordinating the rescue, and knowing that Don Muller was badly injured, they chose to pick him up first. As the big helicopter approached, there was still no sign of enemy activity, so they came to a hover over his position, and para-jumper Tech Sergeant Don Smith went down on the wire. There was no time to mess about, and despite his injuries, Smith had Muller on the jungle penetrator, a tough metal folding seat that could pass through the jungle canopy without getting caught up, and signalled to winch them both up. Less than a minute had elapsed. Suddenly, on three sides of them, the twinkling of automatic fire lit up the jungle, and bullets began whining past their heads. They had flown into a flak trap. The entire area had turned into a mass of heavy small arms and automatic weapons fire, as close as 50 feet, that's 15 metres away. Langham, flying the helicopter, began to receive hits, and although the spads rushed in to suppress the ground fire, it was so close to the rescuers that they couldn't use big weapons for fear of killing the downed pilots. Then the Jolly Green's hoist that held the dangling wire in its precious cargo was hit, breaking it off its mounts and smashing it into the flight engineer's chest, whilst dumping Muller and Smith back on the ground. The hoist was now completely useless, so the cable was guillotined, shearing it off, and they tried to get out of there. The big helicopter dipped its nose and started to accelerate forwards, but they were streaming smoke and oil from the main gearbox. They were going down. Above him, in the high bird, Lieutenant Richard Butchka of the United States Coast Guard punched off his auxiliary fuel tanks and plunged into a descent to follow the injured bird. He told Langham to put it down, and before long he had found a clear spot in a small bowl-shaped valley, and Langham landed the helicopter safely into a mass of elephant grass. The crew abandoned it and ran, looking up for help from the high bird, but it was already there, on the left side, in a hover, with its hoist cable dangling down, ready for them. The hovering helicopter was an easy target, so Butchka was fully expecting enemy fire, and he didn't have to wait long. 
His machine shuddered with a jolt on the right side as a big gash appeared in the aircraft's skin. As they hauled the crew of the downed helicopter up, the counts of rescues rose until, when the co-pilot, Major Charles Bond, came on board, they had reached the magic number of 500 saves. Little did they expect that it would be one of their own pilots. With the men safely on board, the next problem was getting out of there. Butchka didn't want to go back the way he came in because of the heavy enemy fire. Complicating the matter, it was hot and humid, the pressure altitude was high, and the only other way out presented him with a vertical cliff rising about 130 feet above him. It was decision time. Butchka headed for the cliff face, pulled every bit of power he could, heaving the collective up into his armpit. With the airspeed dropping and the rotor slowing, he smashed through the tops of the trees as they struggled over. But they weren't out of trouble yet. As they came over the ridge line, the jolly immediately came under more heavy ground fire. The Spads hadn't reported anything because they didn't know where Butchka had got to, but miraculously they weren't hit. However, the jolly had caught its blades in the trees and needed an escort out of there. Damaged, they diverted to a landing site for repairs. Back at the rescue point, the downed Misty crew and Langham's PJ had reported contact with the enemy only 35 metres, about 100 feet west of them, and he called in airstrikes. The spads came down, bracketing their position to keep the Viet Cong at bay. That day, three more recovery attempts were made, but each time intense ground fire resulting in severe damage forced the helicopters to withdraw, one with its hydraulics shot away and a badly damaged tail rotor. Later that afternoon, the Jolly Green Giants had another go, this time with Coast Guard Lieutenant Rob Ritchie at the controls, a USAF pilot at his side, his engineer and two PJs in the back. After multiple passes by the A1s dropping chemical cluster bomb units, with each dispenser delivering 528 CS gas canisters, they came in. All the previous attempts that day had been made into wind, so Ritchie chose an unexpected downwind approach. He reckoned that the bad guys would be set up for them to come into the wind and would be waiting. The spads made more suppression runs and laid smoke, and then they joined in a daisy chain of passes that provided protective fire. Ritchie used the smoke for cover, descended fast and quickly put his aircraft into a hover over Smith, the PJ, and Muller. As Tech Sergeant Gados wound down the rescue hoist, he was completely exposed to incoming hostile fire impacting all about him in the doorway. Unconcerned, he kept up his usual reassuring and calm hover instructions to the pilots until both men had been brought up and swung aboard. With surprisingly little damage to the aircraft, Ritchie repositioned to make a second approach and rescue Clapper, but this time they began taking very heavy ground fire on the way in. 
They had lost the element of surprise, and the North Vietnamese had repositioned. The SPAD leader called the approach off so that both A1s could make further suppression runs. Now on his third attempt, Ritchie immediately started his run-in. The SPADs had done their work, and this time it was much quieter, but as the penetrator descended through the jungle canopy, the fire became more and more intense, with the jolly taking multiple hits. A utility hydraulic line that powered the hoist was severed, and it stopped moving. The frustration was palpable. They had been so close, but they had to pull away and leave Clapper in the jungle, surrounded by the enemy. Later that afternoon, two further attempts were made, but each was beaten off by the Viet Cong, and then a huge tropical thunderstorm moved in, pounding the area with heavy rain for 30 minutes. As the squalls started to move away and the storm subsided, they had their chance. The winds that had just been whipping up the valley calmed, and the smoke screen that they laid began to envelop the area, this was a double-edged sword, as it hid the helicopter's approach, but also made it difficult and dangerous to find Clapper. Fortunately, Jack Clapper hadn't been asleep during his combat survival lectures, and he was well aware of how to guide the helicopter pilot in. Coordinating with the spads overhead and the high bird, they positioned themselves right over the downed man and dropped the penetrator down into the jungle. Clapper clambered onto the device and the winch operator lifted him up and away from danger. Soon he reached the open door and safety as the door gunner pulled him in. With a grin of relief, after ten hours of tension amongst the enemy forces, Clapper gratefully fell into a seat. For this 500th combat rescue, many well-deserved medals were awarded. These are just a few. Lieutenant Robert D. Ritchie, United States Coast Guard, was awarded the Silver Star for gallantry in connection with military operations against an opposing armed force whilst attached to the 37th Aerospace Rescue and Recovery Squadron. Lieutenant Ritchie distinguished himself as an aircraft commander of an HH-3E rescue helicopter on the 24th of October 1969. On that date, he repeatedly penetrated an area of intense hostile fire in an effort to rescue three downed airmen before battle damage rendered his aircraft incapable of further rescue operations. By his gallantry and devotion to duty, Lieutenant Junior Grade Ritchie has reflected great credit upon himself and the United States Air Force. Captain Charles D. Langham was awarded the Silver Star when he distinguished himself by gallantry as the aircraft commander of an HH-3E helicopter. While attempting to recover two downed Air Force pilots, Captain Langham's aircraft was subjected to intense hostile fire. Displaying superb airmanship, he nursed his critically damaged aircraft away from the hostile area and effected an emergency landing in a confined remote area, which saved his crew from probable serious injury or possible death. By his gallantry and devotion to duty, Captain Langham has reflected great credit upon himself and the United States Air Force.
The Air Force Cross was presented to Technical Sergeant Donald G. Smith for extraordinary heroism against an opposing armed force as a paro rescueman on an HH-3E rescue helicopter. Sergeant Smith voluntarily descended to the surface on a forest penetrator to assist a downed pilot. As he and the pilot were being raised, hostile fire rendered the hoist inoperative and the cable was sheared, dropping them 15 feet to the ground. Sergeant Smith's position was surrounded by hostile forces and his helicopter was downed by hostile fire. Remaining exceptionally calm, his resolute and decisive presence encouraged other survivors, whilst his resourcefulness in controlling and directing the aircraft providing suppressive fire resulted in the safe recovery of all downed personnel. Through his extraordinary heroism, superb airmanship and aggressiveness in the face of the enemy, Sergeant Smith reflected the highest credit upon himself and the United States Air Force. Of the roughly 200 Air Force Cross recipients, only 24 are enlisted rank, of which 12 are para-rescue men. Nine PJs were awarded Air Force Crosses for combat search and rescue missions in Vietnam. Of those nine missions, two had Coast Guard aviators as aircraft commanders. Four of those gentlemen were awarded Silver Stars, the only four Silver Stars to have ever been awarded to Coast Guard aviators. General Howard Estes made the following statement about them. I'm personally aware of the distinguished record achieved by the Coast Guard pilots flying in combat with our Jolly Greens. They have flown many difficult and challenging missions and have consistently demonstrated their unreserved adherence to both our mottos. Always ready, and that others may live. Plane Tales is a featured segment of the Airline Pilot Guy show. You can find us at airlinepilotguy.com. If you're enjoying Plane Tales, then please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or your podcatcher of choice.